Okay. Um, well, good morning. Uh, like Pastor Elizabeth said, this weekend we got to celebrate Reverend Valerie uh, in her ordination. And uh, you can have a seat, actually, while I talk. Um, who knows how long it'll go. Um, but uh, I just wanted to take a second just to explain uh, what ordination is. Uh, it's a big, fluffy Christian word that sometimes uh, seems like, I don't know, unattainable and weird. And uh, what that means for our denomination, I'm actually ordained as well. And while the Wesleyan denomination acknowledges people that are pastors, um, whether no matter what the education they have, um, they save a special recognition for somebody who has been called, um, who has gone through uh, four years of ministry education, uh, who has been supervised after that education for two years under a, an ordained minister, and who has done rigorous amounts of paperwork <laughs> and applications, and also has met uh, with a district board of ministerial development that spans from Colorado, Nebraska, Louisiana, and Texas. And what that looks like is that there's about 10 people that get into a room and they ask Valerie who Jesus is, and they ask her what she believes, and they ask her uh, if she believes that, that Jesus provides grace and holiness and truth and wisdom. And she gets to explain all of those things to these people that know the answers. <laughs> um, and after all of that, uh, our district prays and seeks the Lord, and they decide if she has been uh, affirmed in her calling by not only them, but her church and her leadership. Um, and they believe that God has placed a special grace gift on her life to be a full-time minister in the Wesleyan Church. Now, this is the greatest honor that that the Wesleyan Church bestows on anybody. Um, it's not taken lightly. It's not something that um, that is easy to accomplish. And as I was standing, I got to sit up in the front row because I prayed over Valerie during her ordination. And um, as they asked the candidates to stand up, there were five, and four of them were female. And I'm just bawling knowing that we belong to a church that says, um, that there is no gender, no, no uh, denom or denomination, there's no uh, slave nor Greek, um, there's no slave nor free in the eyes of Jesus, but that he calls each and every one of us to his ministry. And when I started out in ministry, that was not the case. Um, but I'm so excited to see the next generation, even after me, come up and be represented by such a wonderful God-fearing woman like Valerie. And so this morning, I think that it's, that it's powerful uh, to not just be recognized by strangers that are from different states, um, but for us to lay hands on Valerie this morning and say that, yeah, she's checked all the boxes, but we affirm and believe in her calling as well. Um, a lot of times in scripture, you see people laying on of hands for them to receive the Holy Spirit and while we know that, that Valerie already has the Holy Spirit, we're going to pray this morning that there would just be a supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit in her life, uh, in the people that 
she comes in contact with and the words that she preaches to you and I, um, and that she would fully be able to live out her calling. So Valerie, if you would come up um, and just stand right right here. Um, <laughs> face them. I already see in your face. Um, it's been a joy to lead her and to continue to lead her. And her dad said, what are you going to do when you get ordained? And everybody comes knocking at your doors trying to steal her. <laughs> and uh, yesterday we were on um, an airplane together and she said, I know that I am called to anchor. And I know that I am called to, to the mission that we have and to the vision that there, there is. And so um, I also want to just pray that the Lord would continue to open the right doors for us financially and otherwise so that she can fully live out this call here at our church. So would you come and gather around her this morning? All right. John 12 says, or John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no other than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father and I have made known to you, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should bear fruit and that sh fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Father God, we, we pray and we lay hands saying that we believe that you have placed a calling on Valerie's life. And we get to a front row view to that calling. Lord, we thank you for the pastor that she is to all of us. Lord, for the preacher that she is to us that admonishes us in grace and in truth. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom that is completely beyond her years. Lord, we thank you for the testimony that she's given. Lord, for all of the trials that she has faced. Lord, and for... Um, for the grace that you have given her to, to accept this calling. God, I pray that we would be a church that would surround her in support and love and that we would continue to strengthen her in this calling. Father, as we uh, just continue here, um, I, I wanna thank you for bringing Valerie into our lives. And I want to thank you for calling her. Father, I, I'm reminded that you don't call the prepared, you prepare the called. And as we had a chance <clears throat> about a week ago, as some of us were able to just talk about what we've seen in Valerie and the preparation that we've seen you doing in her life, we praise you and thank you because we can see your hand at work in her life. And we just rejoice in that knowledge. Um, 
Thank you that you don't require us to fit a certain mold before you'll call us. That you just say, raise your hand if you're willing. And we're glad she raised her hand. Thank you. Father, we rejoice and we look forward to the blessing that she's already been in our lives, but the blessing she's going to continue to be in the ministry of Anchor because she's been called here to help win souls and grow your kingdom. Thank you for letting us journey alongside her in that process. In Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> she said, I have to preach now? I am. Backed by popular demand. Well, good morning. I'm already in tears. How are you? <laughs> good gracious. She's a, she's a wiener sometimes because she, <laughs> she'll tell me about these things but not the full extent of them and then I'm, here I am crying on stage. It's okay. It's fine. Nobody should be ashamed of tears. I'm not ashamed of tears. <laughs> okay, good morning. We have been in a sermon series called Unconditional. Um, and what that sermon series has sought to do is to, to give you a new perspective of Jesus' love for us. Um, and we've, we've worked through stories like uh, the demoniac in the Gennesarene tombs uh, who was so far gone that not even the people that knew him thought that they could reach him. But here comes Jesus and he lands on a shore and he saves this man. Right? And we've worked through the story of the lepers who were untouched in society. It was a crime of religious crime to associate with these people. And here comes Jesus and he heals them. And last week we talked about the prodigal son, the one who ran, who ran from the Lord's love and still he was pursued. And I think that could be a lot of our stories. But this idea that there is an unconditional love that Christ has for us that follows us to the ends of the earth that's what we're talking about. And this morning we're going to be talking through a different story. But before I get to that story, I need to ask you, have you ever doubted? Have you ever had your doubts in life? I need to tell you about one thing that I heavily doubt, um, and that's sunscreen. I am... Okay, so my grandpa has skin cancer, right, from not wearing sunscreen. But I will tell you what, I have been burned more times in my life wearing sunscreen than not. And I have ceased to acknowledge these, these little warnings on there and say, sunscreen's good for you. I buy the 50 proof, the hard stuff, right? I slather it everywhere and I still end up burnt, toasty. And it could be, listen, step back for a second because I can feel your thoughts coming at me. It could just be that I'm like extra white. I know that. <laughs> I know that, you know, just like pasty, okay? I recognize that. But sunscreen is sunscreen, am I right? Like, it should work. It, it literally deflects the sun from your skin. Not me. My skin just says, oh, that's nice. Now we feel sticky and hot. <laughs> okay, and I have a particular time 
and I hate this story so much, but I'm going to tell it. I have a particular time where sunscreen really failed me, okay? And actually, thinking about it, maybe it wasn't only the sunscreen, okay? But we went to Red Rocks Canyon, and we, we went hiking. This is the same canyon, right, that Lindsay got lost in, and we talked about that last week. That same canyon, we went there. Um, I slathered sunscreen all over myself. I'm saying the word slather so much because I know Lindsay doesn't like it. Um, <laughs> I slathered it up, okay? Um, I was like still chalky white. Like I got out of the car and Lindsay was like, uh, you need to rub that in a little. And I was like, what? She goes, there's like white all over your face, right? So it was enough of a layer that people could see me coming for miles. <laughs> Okay? I slapped on my sunglasses and we hiked. And it's beautiful. Have you ever been up there? It's a great old place to hike. There's a bunch of different trails. There's like this pond in the middle. It looks pretty dirty. I don't recommend swimming in it, but it's there. <laughs> uh, there's some turtles, which I am also terrified of. Another story for a different time. Okay, we, we get finished with our hike. Everything's good. It went well. We didn't get lost. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, but I get back in the car. And I'm like, man, my eyes are burning. Like, like, I just, like, it hurts to open them. You know, like, like looking out the window is hurting me. <laughs> and I get home and I look in the mirror and the whites of my eyes are red. Right, this is how white I am, guys, that even wearing sunscreen, my eyeballs got sunburned. <laughs> My eyeballs. And Lindsay thinks it's hilarious. It wasn't. <laughs> because even when I was crying the tears of pain, having burnt, sunburnt eyeballs, <laughs> it hurt so much because the water in my eyes. I had to go get special drops for my eyes. I had to get one of those little sleep masks that has like the jelly stuff in it. And she thinks it's hilarious. But forgive me because I wore sunscreen. And I wore sunglasses, and I still got burnt. Talk about a disappointment. Have you ever doubted something in your life? Now, I'll tell you, I'm not a huge fan of sunscreen up to this day. You know, like, I just feel like if even my eyes are going to get burnt, like, may as well just join the rest of the club. Like, burn me. It's okay. <laughs> okay? I have a video for you. Um, of another person who has reason now to doubt. <laughs> Look at the screen with me. Honey, I'll yes. show you a trick. Okay, show me a trick. See the penny? I, I see, see the penny. I'll put this bottle of water right on top of the penny. Okay. And I'll put this over it. Okay. And when I say the magic words, yeah. the penny's going to go inside the bottle. Really? Yes. Okay, let me see if this happens. Okay. I got the towel. Woogie boogie! Woogie boogie! Woogie boogie! Okay. And you look down and your pennies are inside the bottle. doubt, 
what I'm really trying to say to you is that doubt often comes from somewhere. It comes from an experience, right? It comes from a place where, man, I, I, was, I was let down in that, and so I doubt that sunscreen will ever work for me again. Something else you need to know about me, I have a, I have a dairy allergy, and sometimes I eat dairy and I doubt that I will make it home without a rumble in the tumble, if you know what I'm saying, okay? And this guy probably, the next time that his wife says, I have a magic trick for you, do you think that he's going to believe her? <laughs> no. He's going to doubt that she can do it. <laughs> but, like, that's a funny thing to laugh at, right? So it's fine. <laughs> Hopefully not too many seeds were planted in that. Okay. <laughs> but my point is this, is that, that doubt often comes from a place of disappointment. Doubt stems from disappointment. I was let down, and so I doubt that I can trust that person again. And this happens everywhere. Why do you, why do you wear your seatbelt? Well, because I was in a car accident that wasn't my fault. And, and I doubt that if it wasn't there, I would be here. Right? Or, um, man, why do you hide the money in your drawer in like several pairs of socks? Well, because I had money stolen from me, and so I can't leave it out. This happens everywhere. And maybe it's happened in friendship, where you've told somebody something about you that you've never told anybody else, and they tell somebody else, and they disappoint you, and you doubt that you can trust them anymore. Or maybe this has happened in your marriages, where you relied on your spouse for something, and they failed you, and they let you down in a big way, and you doubt that you can trust them anymore. Right? Maybe this has even happened in your relationship with the Lord, where you say, Lord, I have been praying for this for years, and it hasn't happened. And I doubt that if I continue to pray for it, it will make any difference at all. Because doubt comes from disappointment. It comes from being let down. And we're going to talk about a man in Scripture who is known for doubting. And I'm sure that that name popped right into your mind. Who are we talking about? Thomas, right. And in preparation for this sermon, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that that is what Thomas is known for. For but a moment of disbelief. Because that's not where Thomas's story starts in Scripture. Actually, the first time that we see Thomas mentioned in Scripture is in the story of Lazarus. And we know that story, but turn with me to John 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. 
But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? See, in the midst of this story, there is already an undercurrent. There is already an undercurrent of doubt in these disciples, among, among which is Thomas, right? But this is a, this is a, pretty, a pretty convincing plot to not go back, right? Because there are religious leaders in Judea who have already tried to kill Jesus once for what he did there, for the way that he spoke to them there, for the people that he led there in Judea. And they are right to think to themselves, this could be the end of it if we go back. This could be it. Look at Thomas's response to the disciples' doubt, though. In verse 14, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Does this sound like the doubting Thomas that you know? No. And how heartbreaking that this man's name is now synonymous with doubt when he started off so differently. And I think there's something else you need to understand about Thomas in this moment that makes this moment come to life even more. It makes it even more an insane moment of courage for Thomas. See, Jewish people had two names in this culture. They had a Hebrew name, which they were known by and called by in their Hebrew culture and by the people who knew them. So brothers, sisters, family members called them this Hebrew name. And for Thomas, that was Thomas. They called him Thomas. Right? That's what he was called in the temple. That's what the people who knew him and who loved him called him Thomas. But the Greek people had another name for him, and that name is Didymus. And that name in Greek means twin. And there's no historical evidence whatsoever to support the idea that Thomas had a twin. He did not have a twin brother, so why the name twin? Some scholars, like William Barclay, who is a highly respected biblical scholar, suggest that it's because Thomas looked enough like Jesus that the people called him his twin. That Thomas bore a striking resemblance to Jesus. And so you have to understand, walking into this, that there's more at stake for Thomas in this story than probably any other disciple walking to Judea with Jesus. That this man bears the likeness of our Lord and that just for that, he could be killed. Just for looking like Jesus, being called twin, they could take his life. And he knows that. And still he says, let us go with him to Judea and we can die with him there. Still he trusts our Savior enough to walk with him into darkness. And we know the end of this story. Lazarus is raised from the dead, and Thomas is witness to that. Thomas has no reason to doubt the Lord. None. And so this name, Doubting Thomas, it's heartbreaking. Because in fact, in this moment, he showed more courage than any of the other disciples. 
He showed who he was in that moment, but that's not what we know him for. Anchor, as we walk through the rest of Thomas's story, do not let yourself make that mistake. Do not let one moment define your name for the rest of your life. So let's go fast forward to John 20. So that's the first time that we see Thomas. But this next story is the one that he's most known for. It's the one where he gets his name, Doubting Thomas. Just for some context, John 20, this is after Jesus has died. This is after the veil has been torn. This is when Jesus' body is still missing. This is when they have no idea what's going on or if Jesus is going to come back. Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jewish, Jesus, Jewish, <laughs> oh, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, as twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. How did we get to this place? From courageous Thomas who was willing to die with his Savior, how do we get here? Unless I see it myself, I won't believe. See, Scripture doesn't tell us why Thomas wasn't there. He doesn't tell us why he wasn't with the twelve disciples hidden away. This man who bears the likeness of Jesus, where was he in that moment? When Jesus first came back to see the people that he loved, Thomas wasn't there. And the disciples don't seem bothered by that. And neither does Jesus seem, seem at all surprised that Thomas is not there. Why? See, if I had to guess, I think Thomas is grieving. I think this is a moment of loss and of defeat for Thomas. And I think he has a lot of questions he is not asking the people around him. And he is most especially not asking the Lord. Where is Jesus? How could he die? How could the person who said he would come back still not be here? Where is his body? Was any of what he said true? Doubting Thomas. Aren't these questions that we ask ourselves? God, where are you? Where are you in my circumstances? Lord, I'm angry. I have prayed and prayed and it still hasn't happened. And I think that we can see that anger in Thomas in his response. Look at it again. But he said to them, 
unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. You see, doubt comes from disappointment. But you know what else comes from disappointment? Anger. Anger. And in this statement, he doesn't say, I can't believe. And he doesn't say, I can't find a way to make sense of this. He says, I will not. And that is an angry statement. I will not believe until I see it. That is the statement from a man who has questions for the Lord that he isn't asking. Who is not addressing his disappointment. You spend years with a man getting to know him and believing what he has taught you and now he's died. And he's not here. And you're left to deal with the consequences. Where is Jesus? This is a statement from a man who is heartbroken, who can't see past the disappointment that he feels, who can't see past the anger and the frustration that are boiling up inside that he believed Jesus. He believed Jesus was who he said he was, and he still hasn't seen the proof. Doubting Thomas. I think a better name for him would be angry Thomas. Frustrated Thomas, in denial Thomas, but doubting. That's what we get stuck with. And here's the problem, is that our unaddressed disappointment that anger, it turns into distance. Where was Thomas in that moment? He was angry, and so he wasn't with the disciples. He was grieving and hurting the loss of his friend, and he wasn't with those disciples. Because he let that disappointment, that unaddressed disappointment, eat away at him. And I want to be clear. We can be disappointed in God, without him ever having done anything wrong. Was it wrong that Jesus died? No. That was written long before Thomas. Was it wrong that Jesus didn't rise till the third day? No. That was God's perfect plan, and still we find Thomas disappointed. It's a lot like, like this weekend when we went to Texas. See, I've seen advertisements online for In-N-Out Burger my whole life, and I've thought, man, to get my hands on one of those burgers. Like, I know it's gotta be the best burger in the world. And those animal fries, like, hidden menu, what? <laughs> they have to be the best things that I have ever tasted because those pictures look so good. And we, and we had it when we were in Texas. My very first Simon In-N-Out burger. I did not take a picture with my burger, but you can talk to Amanda, because she did, <laughs> okay? We had it, and I had worked up so much excitement and anticipation in myself to have this burger. I, as I'm saying this, I'm realizing maybe that's kind of a sad thing to be excited about. But anyway, <laughs> about this burger, and I got it, and I ate it, and it, it was a perfectly fine burger. You know, you know it, was, it was a burger, um, and the fries, like, they were, they were okay. They are pretty good. You know, and it's not that In-N-Out had wronged me in some way. It's that my expectations were different. 
is that there's no way, even on their best day, that they could have lived up to the pictures that I'd seen. That they could have lived up to this expectation that I had that was silent. They disappointed me. I'm gonna write a letter. <laughs> Just kidding, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> the Lord can disappoint you even when he has done nothing wrong. Because our expectations are what do us dirty. Our expectations are what let us down. And Thomas had an expectation of Jesus and he never spoke in life. And that caused him to be away from his friends who were grieving in that moment. And that caused him to not see the first time that Jesus was there. And make no mistake, it is absolutely intentional that that first time that the disciples see Jesus, without prompting, Jesus says, touch my hands. And that that is the moment that Thomas missed. That that is the thing that he names later as what would have done it for him. That is not a mistake. Disappointment that is unaddressed causes anger, which causes distance. <coughs> distance. This morning, our sermon, um, we've had clever names for all of them. And this morning, our sermon is called Unconditional, even when you're angry with him. Because we haven't gotten to the best part of this story, this arc of redemption for Thomas. We haven't gotten to the part of the story where Jesus makes good on every promise he ever made to Thomas. What we are seeing right now is a defeated, angry man who will not believe until he sees. And Anchor, I need you to know that the Lord's love for you is unconditional even when you're angry. And even when you're disappointed, and when your expectations have not been met, the Lord still loves you. And he still fights for you. Let's look at the rest of the story. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Wow, that's a big deal, huh? <laughs> Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. What a sweet moment for Thomas. And also a terrifying moment. Because you know what that means. <laughs> that means that Jesus heard him even when he wasn't in the room. That means that Jesus knew what was going on even when Thomas refused to say it. That means that the doubt that Thomas had, the Lord already knew about. That the anger he was feeling toward the Lord, he already knew about, and he still stretched out his palm. The Lord sees you. And he knows. And that distance that we feel is always on our side and never on the Lord's because he outstretches his palm to Thomas and he says look 
And in this moment, our courageous Thomas is back because he makes a bold statement of faith. There is no other statement like this in Scripture. My Lord and my God, says Thomas, the doubting disciple. And this is the boldest claim that Jesus ever receives from a disciple. This is where Thomas says, I see that you are God. Not that you are like him, not that you are a prophet. I see that you are God, my Lord and my God. Out of the mouth of doubting Thomas comes the greatest declaration of faith that we see from a disciple. How heartbreaking that a moment changed his name. Anchor, I have a rough past. <laughs> um, and I need to tell you about it. Uh, and it's hard. It's hard to talk about. Um, but as a kid, I grew up, I grew up in a home where my mom was mentally ill. Um, and not everybody knows this. Uh, she was incredibly abusive. Um, and I didn't talk about it for years because <laughs> I was terrified and because I loved her. Um, and I grew up without a dad because he had left. He booked it after my mom and he got into an argument. And I will tell you, I spent years of my life angry, angry at God. How could you have let this happen to me? And over abuse, how could you let this happen again and again? And I know that you see it. How? See, I had high expectations of the Lord. I had expectations that he was going to whisk me out of it any minute. And when I first met my dad, I thought that that's what was going to happen. And then I met my dad. And continually, he pushed me away. And I thought to myself, Lord, I thought that this was over. I thought that dealing with rejection and hurt was done. I thought that I had been saved. But I just let it become distance, anger. And when I first came to Jesus, it was at youth camp. And all of the other kids around me were kneeling at this altar, and they were praying to the Lord to receive him. They were praying to have a relationship with him, and I couldn't do it because I was angry. And so I got down on my knees, and I screamed in my head all of the reasons I hated God, all of the reasons I couldn't trust him, all of the reasons that I doubted, all of the reasons that I needed to put distance between myself and God, because how could God let me go through that? Because how could God, who is good, see that and not do anything? I was disappointed. I was disappointed in this image of a God that I had been talked about and to my whole life. And I got down on my knees and I told him all of that. And I said, I want nothing to do with you. And I was sobbing. <laughs> Much worse crying than I'm doing now. I was sobbing. I was a mess. And I heard a voice speak to me. And I opened my eyes because I thought, surely somebody is talking in my ear, but there was nobody there. 
when that voice said it's okay to be afraid. Because that's what I was. At the core of all of my anger and my fear and my disappointment, I was afraid. I was afraid that if I trusted God, I would be let down. And that that God who would let me walk through all of that would continue to make my life a living hell. That that God wouldn't save me from the things that were coming. And God knew that. And he said, it's okay to be afraid. But it was in that moment of honesty where he spoke to me. And it's in this outburst from Thomas, I will not believe unless I see it that the Lord shows up. And I am not standing here and claiming to you that the Lord will give you everything that you want. He won't. That's not true, and it's an unfair expectation. But in these moments of honesty, he will show up. Because the Lord's love for you is unconditional even when you're angry. And he has enough love for you in his heart that you need to know that you can take your raw, unfiltered emotion to the Lord and he will not reject you. See, the problem is we let that distance stay. And that impacts not just us, it impacts the people around us. Because I'm standing before you, having been ordained. Who would ever think that a kid who wanted nothing to do with the Lord now has a life that I live to serve him? I'm telling you now, I would lay down my life for the Lord, and it would mean nothing to me. But I didn't get there by not saying anything. And I didn't get there by suppressing emotions. I got there in a moment of honesty where the Lord laid out his hand in front of me and said, touch it. Because my child, I have died for you. It's okay to be afraid. And Anchor, that's what I need you to understand now in this moment. It's okay. It's okay for you to be afraid. But it's not okay for you to let that fear stop you from finding yourself at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And I'm going to ask you to do something that we don't normally do. <laughs> but I need you all to close your eyes. And it's uncomfortable, and I know that. <laughs> Trust me, I do. <laughs> close your eyes. Bow your heads. We need to have an honest conversation. Because I believe that there are people here who are disappointed and they are not saying it. I would just ask, Holy Spirit, that you guide this moment, that you sit with these people and their feelings. And it's not fun. And Jesus, you know that. You know how difficult it is for us to be honest sometimes. And Lord, how hard it is for us to say to you, you let me down. But we have these wild expectations, Lord. 
Would you help us to lay those down? Okay, and with your eyes closed, I just want you to picture your relationship with Jesus. And that's gonna look different for a lot of you. Maybe for some of you, it looks like the mountains that you see in the distance. Or maybe for some of you, it's the feeling of grass on your feet. But picture what your relationship with the Lord looks like. And I need you to take an honest assessment. Are you distant? Lord, I ask that in this moment that you would reveal to people if they are distant. And if that's you, if there's some distance there, I want you to picture that as a wall. Could be made of brick, could be made of concrete, could be made of wood, but I want you to picture it as a wall. See, a lot of us put up fences when we're disappointed because we don't want to be caught looking vulnerable. So we isolate ourselves and we put that distance between us. And I want you to reach out your hand and I want you to touch that wall and feel it beneath your fingers. And that hurts sometimes to know that you can touch it, that it has some solidity to it, but you know what's on the other side of that wall? It's Jesus. And he has been waiting there for you to look at that wall and to acknowledge it. Jesus, with your help, would you help us to take down that first brick That first panel of wood, would you help us to dig that first piece out of that concrete? And as you're digging through this wall, I want you to imagine on the other side of it, Jesus, digging through to get to you. Because that is where he has always been, is trying to get to you. This is him reaching out his hand for you to touch. Jesus, I'm so sorry for the distance that I have put between us. I'm so sorry for the expectations that I have of you that you can never meet. Jesus, I'm sorry that I let disappointment get the better of me. And I'm sorry that for any amount of time I have let this distance remain. Jesus, what I want is you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be transformed by you. Would you help me to remember that you always have an outstretched hand for me? And would you comfort me in this moment knowing that I have stored up some anger against you? Lord, I ask that you would forgive me for that. Forgive me for that anger, for that frustration, for that disappointment. Lord, you are enough. Lord, I love you. And I am grateful that on the other side of that wall was you.
I'm so sorry that I let it stand so long. Now I want you to open your eyes. Our God is a God of freedom. And he knows what you're feeling before you ever feel it. He knows what you're processing before you ever take the time. And he wants relationship with you. And all of these stories that you have been told, that is the unconditional love of your father. And maybe your earthly father let you down. That's not who the Lord is. I want you to walk away from this place knowing that there is freedom in his name. And that that first song that we sang, Break Every Chain, that that is true. That he can do that. But it starts in moments of honesty. Lord, we thank you for this day and I thank you for this time. Lord, I ask that you would boldly show up in worship. God, I ask that for these moments of honesty that you would protect these people, that you would protect their hearts and that you would remind them it's okay, that you're not ashamed that they have feelings and you're not ashamed to be seen with them. You're not ashamed of them that they spoke those to you, Lord, but you're proud. Lord, we love you, and we lay our lives down, knowing that your plan for us is the best plan. And perfect love drives out fear. Lord, can we walk boldly in our relationships with you? knowing that when we are disappointed, we can simply lay it at your feet. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing this last song, I invite you to stand or sit or kneel. As always, this is your area of worship, but we're going to sing the song, Who You Say I Am. That one moment of anger does not define you, does not change your name. Only God tells you who you are.